Worst they can do is say no. That's not so bad, is it? You probably said no a few times when somebody invited you to church or handed you a track or tried to give you the gospel. You probably said no a time or two. But hey, this might be the time they say yes. Wouldn't that be exciting? If they'd come and sit under the sound of the gospel. Thank you for coming to church on Friday night. It's good to be in church on Friday, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Take your Bible and open it up to a familiar passage. Just pick one. It's all right. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5. I know what you're thinking. He's lost his mind. I know. No, we're there on purpose. So when you find Ephesians chapter 5, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. Now we're going to kind of skip through uh, some of this passage, so you just follow along with me. Verse number 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Verse number eight, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Verse 17, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for another good day that you've given to us. Thank you that we could be here tonight and we can fellowship and rejoice and sing together Oh, Lord, it is good to be in your house on a Friday night. God, I just pray that tonight as we open your word, that again, your spirit would speak to our hearts. Lord, it might be that there's somebody here tonight that has never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And if that's the case, God, I pray they would not walk out these doors without trusting Jesus Christ. God, for each and every person, I pray you deliver exactly what we need and make us ready to hear it and make us ready to act on it. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, these first 17 verses that we've looked at the last couple of nights, we've said over and over, and I'll say it again tonight, I'll say it again tomorrow. The, the theme of, of the whole passage is verse number one. And be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Again, this is not written to lost people who need to be saved. This is written to saved people who need to be followers of God. And you tonight, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you say, well, I'm saved, so that's the end of it. No, that's not the end of it. You getting saved is the beginning of it. And then the rest of your life is your walk with God and growing and learning and following Him. Now, if you continue to follow Him, God has wonderful things in store for you. I, I'm not giving you some phony sales pitch like a smiling weasel on television. But God has wonderful things in store for you if you follow Him. He really does. No, He's not going to give you a million dollars. 
No, he's not going to give you a boat and a car. And, no, that's not, those are not the things that God promises his children. But he promises to give you wonderful blessings all through your life if you'll follow him. By the same token, if you as a born-again child of God don't follow him, you're going to have a miserable life. Even if you end up with the million dollars and the boat and the car, you'll have a miserable life. Have you noticed how many wealthy, famous people in the last couple of years have taken their own lives? I mean, there was a real string of them there for a while. And, and the world looks at those people and says, well, they, they have fame and, and they have wealth and they have everything that everybody wants. Why would you snuff out your life when you've got everything everybody wants? Because they were missing the thing that everybody really wants. What everybody really wants is peace in their heart. And the only way to have that is to have a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. The only way to do it, to truly be a follower of God, is to be what God wants you to be and find the place God wants you to be and do the things God wants you to do. And that does indeed lead to peace and joy and happiness and all the rest. But it's a byproduct of following God. And so you get down here and, and as we read in verse number 8, uh, the last two nights, it says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There are people today that would tell you that God doesn't really care how you act or how you live or what you do. That's a lie. All you have to do is read that one verse in your Bible, and you know that because you are saved and you're no longer darkness, but now you're light, God expects you to act like light instead of darkness. God does care how you live. He does care how you conduct yourself. It is important. And then you get to verse 10. He says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And if there are things that are acceptable unto the Lord, then there have to be things that are unacceptable to the Lord. And we're supposed to be able to prove the difference. You get to verse 17. And he says, wherefore be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I should be able, I, I submit to you tonight, I, as a born-again child of God, should be able to determine if what I'm planning to do tomorrow is the will of the Lord or if it is not. As a matter of fact, if I can't determine that, the Bible says I'm unwise. It's just assumed that, that a child of God with the Word of God and the Spirit of God ought to be able to determine that. So how do you do it? And we've said every night, when there's not a verse in black and white that gives you the answer to a question, God has provided us with wonderful principles in His Word that cover every area of your life and answer every question. But Bible principles will only work if I want to be a follower of God. If my heart is aimed toward God, if my heart is toward the world and the things of the world, Bible principles will not work for me. So don't they always work? No, because they have to be applied. And if my heart is not after following God, I'm going to try to find ways around. And I'm going to try to explain them away. 
And I'm going to try to say that it doesn't apply to me and on and on and on. And I'll make a million excuses and the very same Bible principles that will transform your life if you want to be a follower of God will be of no use to you if you don't want to be a follower of God. So the, the crux of the whole matter goes back to Ephesians chapter 5 verse number 1. Now tonight, you notice we went on into verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. In, in your Bible, I, I don't know how your particular Bible is. Uh, I, have a, I have an old Schofield reference Bible. And uh, so it has the, the divisions and the, and the notes in it that were put in there. And, and you understand that when you see those divisions and those, those notes and, and those kind of things in your Bible, that God didn't put those there. You know that, right? Those didn't come from God. Uh, those are just the, the guy who wrote your study Bible, and that's how he put it together in his mind, and he felt that it fit the best, and, and once in a while they're right, and once in a while they're wrong, and it's not the Word of God. It's extra stuff added there just to help you kind of study certain things and follow topics through the Bible. In my Bible, you get to verse 17, and then there's a division. And it says, part four, the walk and warfare of the believer is filled with the Spirit. And then it starts verse number 18. Now, just, just to reiterate, God didn't put that division in there. As a matter of fact, uh, God, God had nothing to do with that division right there. Verse number 18 is not a new subject matter. It's continuing the same thought that started back in verse one and has followed all the way through. And so with that in mind, look at verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now the context is being a follower of God, uh, proving what is acceptable to God, understanding what the will of the Lord is. And tonight I want you to know that a, that a vital element to that is verse 18. You must have the Holy Spirit of God in order to properly discern the principles in the Word of God. There are lost people who have dedicated their lives to the study as an intellectual pursuit of the Word of God. They study it, they pick it apart, they do all kinds of things to it, and they come up with the most ludicrous things. Just ridiculous, ludicrous stuff. You know why they do that? Because they don't have the Spirit of God guiding them. You must have the Spirit of God or else our human tendency is to take the Word of God and simply find a way to prove what we already think. With the Spirit of God, we can approach the Word of God and have Him show us the way of God. You need the Holy Spirit of God or you always come up with the wrong answer. If you're trying to find Bible principles to guide your life without the benefit of the Spirit of God, you'll never come up with the right answer. It'll always be the wrong answer. And so, verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, in my Bible, there is yet another division right there. It says now we're talking about the inner life of the Spirit-filled believer. I don't know if your Bible or you might not have a study Bible or if you do, there might be a division there or somewhere else. But again, God didn't put that there. Verse number 19 is not a new subject after verse 18. And I can prove it to you. There's no period at the end of verse 18. Verse 19 is part of the same sentence. 
And if you know anything at all about grammar, you know that's all in one subject. Amen? You don't divide a sentence into multiple subjects. And so verse 19 is just a continuation of verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Notice there's still no period there. So verse 20 is part of the very same sentence. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there's still no period. And yet in my Bible, there is now a new division <laughs> and goes into a whole new subject. However, it's not a new subject because it's still the same sentence. Look at verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, period. Verses 18, 19, 20, and 21, no matter how many divisions there are in your Bible, are all about one thing. They're all one sentence. Yes, a long sentence. But, but it's all about one thing. And that one thing is stated clearly in verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, without the Holy Spirit of God, you'll never accomplish verses 1 through 17. It'll never happen. You have to have the Holy Spirit of God. Now, it's interesting, the, the, the word picture here. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Now, if, if we were going to try to tell somebody uh, about the Spirit of God, we probably wouldn't immediately go to the drunk to make our comparison. We probably wouldn't do that. Because those things are, are just so polar opposite. And yet that's what God did. That's interesting, isn't it? And be not drunk with wine. Now, now you've seen that. Maybe, maybe before you got saved, you were in that kind of lifestyle and all that. And, and you know what that looks like. You know what it does. You know how it ends and it's always bad. Maybe, maybe you got saved young and grew up in church and never saw any of that close up, but you've seen it portrayed in uh, television and movies and books and all manner of stuff. You know what it looks like. You know what it is. And it's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's ugly. It's hurtful. And it's always a disaster. We were in Pahrump, Nevada. Uh, it's been uh, two years ago now, I guess. My oldest brother, who has, he has scleroderma. It's a terminal disease that, that affects your body. And, and he, can't, he can't spend his winters in Alaska because uh, of the disease freezes up your joints and everything. And when it gets cold, it's just far worse. And so they leave Alaska in the fall and they go to Pahrump, Nevada, and they spend their winters there. And then in the spring, they go back to Alaska. And uh, we, we, were, we had some meetings in Southern California, and we had a couple free days. We were going to go over and visit them. And we needed to because, you see, my brother and his wife, they're lost. And, and we've tried to be a good testimony and witness to them, but they're very antagonistic toward the gospel. They just, they'll just shut you down immediately, and, and it, it can get very, very ugly very quickly. And the year before, we had gone to see them, and, and it didn't go well. It didn't go well at all. Uh, my sister-in-law tends to drink a little bit, and, and uh, before we even got there, 
uh, she had been preparing for us to come. And when we got there, um, she met us at the door and she said, I don't want to hear anything about church. And I don't want to hear anything from the kids about it either. Well, you know, we'd, we'd always tried to be as, as tactful as we could. And, and, you know, the kids, that's their whole life. If you're going to talk to them about what they've been doing, they've been in church. That's where they've been. That's what they've been doing. And, and you know what that let me know? It let me know that the Spirit of God is working on her. Because she was already feeling guilty before we ever got there. And we didn't even say anything. So I, I know the Spirit of God's working on her heart. But it was, it was ugly and it was not good and it was uncomfortable and, and it was just rough. So uh, two years ago we thought we, we, have, we have a day, we better go over there and try to start over again. We, you know, try to smooth things over and get the relationship back where it ought to be. And, and so we can at least be a good testimony again. And, and we got over there. It was, it was much better. We got, we got tied up in floods in Northern California and, and snowstorms in Oregon. And by the time we got there, uh, we only had just part of a day. We were going to spend two days. We got in one afternoon. We had to leave the next morning. And praise the Lord, we were able to kind of reestablish everything and smooth it all out. And everybody was good. And we just had a wonderful visit. But my, my niece from my middle brother and his, his family lives in Pahrump as well. <coughs> and we weren't going to have time to go see her because we got in the afternoon. We had to leave the next morning. We just, we ran out of time. And so Liz got on the on the thing there and, and talked to her and, and said, you know, we got in a day later than we thought. We're not going to be able to catch up with you. We'll see you next time around. And my niece wrote back and said, well, I'll just come over to their house. Well, it's all the way across town. And, and it was already 10 o'clock at night. And as some of you will understand this. There are some people that you don't want to see after a certain time of day. Some of you understand that. Because they become a different person late in the afternoon. And, and you don't want to see them then. It's just not the same. And so she wrote back and said, I'll just come to the house. And we thought, oh no, it's 10 o'clock at night already. And if she's that excited to go do something, this is bad. And sure enough, well, praise the Lord, she got somebody else to drive her to the house. And she came stumbling in with her big, you know, jug that she didn't think we knew what was in it. Because we're ignorant, you know, we're Christians and we don't know that stuff. And, and so there she's got her thing, she's sipping on all night. And she was, she was drunk, she was completely drunk. And uh, she was rude and she was inappropriate. She was vulgar. It was loud. It, it, was, it was not pretty at all. And she was telling us about her boyfriend that she'd been shacked up with and uh, how he tried to kill her and the police had to come and he's in jail now, but he's going to be out in a few weeks and then they're going to get back together again. And uh, when he's, he's about 20 years younger than she is. And her husband and her kids are gone. And uh, she was showing us bruises all over, bruises. 
just awful, horrible stuff. And my kids are sitting there in the living room. And pretty soon they, they made their way off to bed. And finally she, she left. She went home. And we went to bed and, and we're laying there in the bed. And Liz said, uh, did it bother you that they saw her that way? Well, I thought about it for a minute. I said, uh, no. As a matter of fact, I'm glad they saw her that way. Because I want them to know that that's the best the booze has to offer you right there. It takes a, a, a talented, intelligent person and turns them into that. That's what it does. You see, sooner or later, someday, somebody's going to come to them and going to offer them something. And going to say, you go ahead. What are you, chicken? Are you sissy? Just go ahead. And I don't want them to think of the billboard where everybody's got a bottle in their hand and, and they're having a great time. I want them to think of their cousin who's going to die early unless something drastic happens in her life. I want them to know what it really looks like. Because if you've ever been to the place where they've all got the bottle in their hand and they're having a great time, you know that only lasts about a half hour. And then it goes downhill in a hurry. That's the reality. There is nothing good. There is no upside. It's all bad. And I want them to know that and understand it. And you look at that and you think, that's what, that's what God uses as an example. And be not drunk with wine where it is excess. But then if you think about it a minute... That person who's drunk, they say things they wouldn't normally say. They do things they wouldn't normally do. They go places they wouldn't normally go because they're under the control of this substance. You know, that's an awful lot like a, a saved person under the control of the Holy Spirit of God who says things they would not normally say, who goes places they would not normally go who does things they would not normally do, like show up in church on a Friday night. That's weird. Amen? That's not normal. Ask anybody out there. They don't even go on Sunday. Friday's weird. Amen? What's the difference? You're under the control of something other than yourself. Why, why is it half the people out there are going to sleep in and not go to church anywhere on Sunday? Because they are in control of themselves. That's why. And they don't want to get out of bed. The born-again child of God is under the control, or supposed to be under the control, of somebody other than himself. Supposed to be under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. He said, be not drunk with wine where it is excess. That'll destroy you. That'll ruin your life. But be filled with the Spirit. You ought to be just as controlled by the Holy Spirit of God as the drunk is controlled by the booze. You ought to be just as, as free of control of yourself as he is free of control of himself. The only difference is he's under the control of something that'll destroy him. And you're under the control of the God of the universe. And that's a good thing. Amen? And then when you look down at verse number 19, remember, it's not a separate subject. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That is simply an evidence of verse number 18 being true in your life. 
If you're filled with the Spirit, you can sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that's not a new subject. That is another evidence of the filling of the Spirit of God. Giving thanks for all things, that is not natural. It's natural for us to give thanks for things that we like. That's natural. To give thanks for all things is supernatural. It's beyond our natural tendency. And the born-again child of God, filled with the Spirit of God, knows that you can be thankful even for things you don't like. Because you know, even though you may not understand it, God is using it all for your good and to glorify Him. And so you can be thankful. You get to verse number 21, and it says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That is not natural. That is supernatural. If you're going to submit yourselves one to another for the cause of Christ to accomplish something for the kingdom of God, that takes the Spirit of God. It really does. Because our natural tendency is to get our own way and do our own thing. And if we're going to submit ourselves one to another, it's going to take something outside of us to control us. And that something is supposed to be the Holy Spirit of God. Say, so, well, okay then, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And there's a lot of confusion about that. I know there is. And some of it comes from people who watch too much religious television. And they see, you know, they're, they're big on talking about the Holy Spirit and they knock people down and they roll on the ground and, and bark like dogs and laugh and can't stop and all manner of stuff. And it all gets blamed on God. Uh, I, I don't want to be ugly and I don't have time to go into all of it, but there's a theological term for that. Fooey. There are, there, listen, judge everything by the Bible. You can find people in the Bible who fell down on the ground and rolled around. You find it several times. And it's always the same thing. It's not God. It's devils in the Bible. It's always devils. So why would we think it's something else now? I'm smiling at you because you can't get mad at me if I smile at you. Amen. It's the same old stuff. The devil has no new tricks. He just recycles the old stuff over and over and over because we keep getting sucked into it. Amen? So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, you can put all that foolishness out of your mind. But we, honestly, we as independent Baptists, we're not a whole lot better. You, you want to be filled with the Spirit. Well, you probably need to fast for about a month and then beg God for a week and uh, do all kinds of stuff and, and go through a whole list of things and, and then maybe you can get filled with the Spirit. Now, I, again, I'm not trying to be ugly. Problem is that's not biblical. You've got to judge everything by the Bible. So you're in Ephesians chapter 5. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 if you would. Look, if you would, at verse number 12. What we're going to read here directly from the Word of God is a blow-by-blow -blow description of biblical salvation. This is what salvation is. Verse 12. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, that again is trusted in Christ, after that ye heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. What we just read right there is God's description of what salvation is. You hear the truth of the gospel. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then something spiritual and miraculous occurs. The Holy Spirit of God moves in and takes up residence and seals you forever. Isn't that wonderful? That's exciting. Now, if that didn't happen to you, well, I talked to a guy who had been to a, a healing meeting up in Maine, and he said, I, I went to that thing, and they, this woman put her hands on me and prayed, and I felt warm all over, and so I know I'm saved. That is in no way, shape, or form salvation. That's not it. Salvation is hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit of God seals you until the day of redemption. You're sealed forever. Isn't that wonderful? Here's what I want you to know. The day you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit. And if you didn't, you didn't get saved. If you didn't get the Holy Spirit, you've not been sealed. And you're not saved. It's that simple. We just read it in the Bible. There it is. But if you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit, and you got all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. Well, I, I got half of him, and now I got to go find the other half. No, that's ridiculous. He's a person. He's not a substance. He's a person. You got all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. There's not another piece of him hiding somewhere. You couldn't get more of the Holy Spirit if you wanted to. You, if you got him, you got him. That's it. You got him. So, well, then, the, the, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, it can't mean you're getting more of him because you already got him, according to the Word of God. So it has to mean him getting more of you. You see, it's not you finding more of the Holy Spirit and getting him to move in. He's already there. And if he leaves, you're lost. Amen? That's the truth. He's the one that seals you to the day of redemption. And if he moves out, you're in serious trouble. Thank God he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Amen? Listen, the, the question is not, are you getting more of him because you can't? It's how much of you is he getting? And when you allow him to control and lead and guide and direct in every area of your life, you are then filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. He's taking up all the space. He's filling you. He's controlling everything. And every bit of that that you pull back, you are no longer filled with the Spirit of God. Oh, you've still got Him. He's still there. But He's not in control. You say, well, how can that be? I think you could give me a list of people. I could give you a list of people who are living that way right now. Are they saved? I, I believe they are saved. And yet they've taken back control of their life from the Holy Spirit of God. And they are in control and he is not. 
and they are not filled with the Spirit. And so he says, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. You want to be a follower of God and you want to live according to Bible principle, then you're going to have to be filled with the Spirit of God. You're going to have to be filled. And in so doing, you are saying to him, literally every day, I am relinquishing control of myself to you. You just show me what to do. Okay, God, I have a question. Here's, I, I have this opportunity to do this. Is this the will of the Lord or is it not? Well, don't waste your time waiting for a vision or a dream because God has already given you his revelation. So what do you do? You go to the word of God and you find the principles that apply to that situation. We've already seen several. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31. It tells us whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Is this thing I'm about to do, does it bring glory to God or could it not bring glory to God? If not, well then, it's not the will of the Lord that I do that. Really, quite simple, don't you think? Does it reflect that I'm a new creature in Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If I go get involved in this, is it going to have the kind of testimony to the world that there's not been a change in my life? If it doesn't reflect that there's been a change in my life, then I ought not do that. That's not the will of the Lord for me. Put that off to the side. Do you see how that works? Isn't that wonderful? We saw it last night in Romans chapter 14. That I ought not put a, a stumbling block in front of my brother. So I look at this thing that I might do or this place I might go or this, this job I might take. And, and I say, does that put a stumbling block in the path of my brother in Christ? And if the answer is yes, it does, then I should just pass on that. Would I be lost if I did it? No, but that's not the question. That was settled the day I got saved. My saved and lostness was settled the day I trusted Christ as Savior. I never have to question that again. What I have to do now, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 14, verse number 13, is judge myself and judge whether or not I'm putting a stumbling block in my brother's path. And if I am, I need to stop it. Amen? <coughs> now tonight we saw the importance of the Holy Spirit of God, and so I want to take you to another Bible principle. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. If you were ever in a verse memorizing contest in Sunday school, you memorized out of this chapter because these are very short verses. <laughs> They're easy points, amen? We're just going to look at one of them. Look at verse 19. It's a simple little verse. Quench not the Spirit. Now, not only is that a direct instruction to us from God, it's a Bible principle. If I'm going to be involved in something or do something or whatever it is, wear something, listen to something, I don't care what it is, you fill in the blank. And it somehow quenches the Spirit of God, then I ought not do it. So then what does it mean to quench the Spirit of God? Well, the, that word quench simply means to extinguish or to make of no use, like you would quench a fire 
uh, just to put it out and, and make it worthless. See, you mean I could do that to the Spirit of God? Yes, you could do that to the Spirit of God. Yep, you could keep him from working in your life. You can make what he's trying to do not work at all. You can just defy it. You can do that. And God says, don't do that. Well, would it really be that big a deal? Yes, it would. You see, he does things that you need done in your life. In John 14, verse number 6, Jesus said he'd be your comforter. You need that. You may not think you need it tonight, but you'll need it. You will need it somewhere along the line. In John 16, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. He guides us into truth, and he glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. You need that. Again, that's how you understand the Word of God. That's how lost people who study the Word of God don't understand it. That's why there are people who, who have all kinds of religious qualifications behind their name who will stand up and defy the Word of God and quote verses to do it. Because they don't have the Spirit of God guiding them into truth. All they have is their own opinion. And they decide what they like and what they don't like. And so they redo the Bible here and rewrite it there and leave out what they don't like and put in what they do like. Why? Because they don't have the Spirit of God in them to guide them into truth. And Jesus said, He will glorify me. Be wary of anybody that spends too much time lifting up the Holy Spirit of God and ignores the Son of God. Because something is desperately wrong there. When you hear something, all they talk about is the Spirit of God, Spirit of God, Spirit of God, Spirit of God. What you know right away is they're not being led by the Spirit of God. Because Jesus said when he comes, he'll glorify me. He won't speak of himself. He will speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see somebody lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you've found somebody who's working in concert with the Spirit of God. In John chapter 16, verse number 8. Jesus said when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And he does that. The Spirit of God is in our world tonight, reproving the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Listen, he did that to you the day you got saved. He did. That's what went off in your heart when you heard the gospel and you said, you know what? I am a sinner. That was the Spirit of God saying you are a sinner. That's what it was. And that day you listened, amen? Thank God for that. And it changed your life. You need the Spirit of God. And then Jesus said, He'd give us power to witness in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You need the work of the Spirit of God in your life. And so he tells us over there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, quench not the Spirit. Here's the Bible principle. If something in my life is working against the work of the Spirit of God, rather than in concert with the Spirit of God, I should put it out of my life. You see, all of those things that the Spirit of God is doing, I could thwart 
by my life and my actions. We were in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And one night we decided to stop and, and get some food. I think it was before we got, we came into town early. And uh, no, 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 that was a different night. This was in Birmingham, Alabama. And we were stopping after church because we got the munchies and we were hungry. You know, you preach and then you eat. That's just the way it works. I, I don't know. Something goes off in your head and you feel like you should eat something after you're done preaching. And so we were on our way back to the hotel and, and Liz said, I'm hungry. I said, me too. Let's get some food. And the only place open at that time of night going through town there was a, it was like an Applebee's kind of place, you know. And there's the restaurant and then there's the bar over on the other side. And so we got over there in our table and, and, and we ordered some food and you could see the, the bar from where we were. And there was a guy sitting over there with a big old glass of booze and he had on <clears throat> witness wear. He had on a t-shirt with a Bible verse on it. And, and, you know, at first I couldn't tell what it was. And then I'm, then now I'm staring at the guy and I'm looking and, and then he turned a little bit and I said, there's the Bible verse right there. King James Bible, right there. And I said to Liz, look at that. I said, I wonder who he stole that shirt from. <laughs> and then I thought, you know, he's probably the pastor. He probably didn't steal that at all. Nowadays, <laughs> you honestly don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. That what his shirt was saying and what he was doing were completely opposite messages. As a matter of fact, if somebody came in there, they would most likely think less of God after they saw him than be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he was doing? He was working in opposition to what the Spirit of God wants to do. The Spirit of God wants to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit of God wants to draw people to the Savior and exalt Him. And here's this guy sitting there with a Bible verse on his back, sitting there drinking at the bar. Those are just opposite as they can be. Yes, you can, you can thwart the working of the Spirit of God just by what you do and how you do it. We had a guy, my home church in Fairbanks, Alaska, uh, well, there were two folks in the church working for Delta Airlines. And the one lady, she worked up at the counter and she'd been there for quite some time. And, and she was in my choir and, and sang a lot. And, and uh, the other young man had only been there just a couple of months. And one night we were having a, having a choir practice and, and she had come in a little bit early and there were only a couple other folks there. So we were just kind of sitting around killing some time until everybody showed up. I said, how's everything going at work? She said, you know, it's going really well. I said, I know you've been witnessing to some folks there at, at, the, at the job and uh, any, any headway on getting them to listen to the gospel or come to church or anything? And she said, no, that's, that's not going good. I said, why not? What happened? She said, well, and she mentioned this young man. She said after he started to work there, he was working back in, in baggage she said, people found out we go to the same church. Now they won't even listen to me. Because he's back there telling these filthy jokes and all manner of stuff. She said, it's really, it's really hurt my ability to witness to those people. You know what he was doing? He was working in direct opposition 
to what the Spirit of God was wanting to do there. And he was thwarting the work of the Spirit of God. Listen, if there's something in your life that is quenching the Spirit, that's keeping the Spirit of God from doing what he desires to do, then you better stop it. Just stop it. Well, well, I'm free in Christ. Oh, I'm so sick of people telling me they're free in Christ. We said it last night. That doesn't mean you're free to blaspheme God. That doesn't mean you're free to disobey God. That means you're free to follow Him. Amen? Amen. Not out of fear and bondage. and No, you follow Him because you love Him. And He loves you and you're free in Christ. That's not an excuse to be wicked and worldly. That's ridiculous. Listen, you take that, that mindset and that thought and you'll drive a whole lot of people away from the Savior over here. Oh, you might impress a few kids who got saved young and grew up in church and don't know any better. But anybody who, who, who was lost out there, who knows what the world has to offer, is not going to be impressed with your tattoos and your piercings. and your, They're not going to be impressed with all that. It's true. They're not going to be impressed with your Christian rock. Because they're going to think it sounds stupid. Because they know what the real stuff sounds like. It's only people who don't know any better who will think you're cool. Why do you want to impress stupid people? Amen? <laughs> and yet that's what's going on in Christianity today. And it's working in opposition to what the Spirit of God wants to do. Listen, if what you're doing is not working in concert with the Spirit of God, then you need to stop and change direction. And again, let me voluntarily... Nobody should have to beat you over the head and make you do it. You should want to follow God. And when you read in the Word of God, a principle from the Word of God, you ought to say, Lord, show me how to apply that to my life. Show me how to do that. I want to follow you. Whatever I do should work in concert with the Spirit of God. Let me give you one more thing for tonight, and then I'll give you the other 47 tomorrow. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll give you this one because it goes hand in hand with the other one and with what we saw last night as well. This is another one of those passages, passages that everybody today knows is in the Bible. They just don't know where and they don't know the context. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 12. All things are lawful unto me. I'm free in Christ. But notice it doesn't stop there. But all things are not expedient. Oh, ouch. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, yes, all things are lawful. I can do anything, but I shouldn't. Amen? That's what it says. All things are not expedient. Then he says again, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Oh. There's a Bible principle in here. Here it is. Whatever I'm going to do, whatever I'm going to be involved in, it should not have control over me. Because there should only be one thing that has control over me, and that is the Holy Spirit of God. I'm supposed to be filled with the Spirit. And so if there's something else that has control over me, then I'm violating Bible principle. Well, I, I don't think anything has control over me. Well, here's what you need to ask. 
could I give it up? Would I give it up? That's probably a better way to ask it, isn't it? Because, you know, you could if you had to. But would you? That's a good question to ask about your music. I'm smiling at you. That's a good question to ask about your clothes. Oh, I know, I know that's dangerous territory. I understand. You, you start talking to people about what they listen to, talking to people about what they wear, and all of a sudden you're not their favorite person anymore. And usually that's because they don't necessarily want to be followers of God. They want to see what they can get away with and still sing in the choir. I'm still smiling at you. Amen. <laughs> Isn't this fun? I enjoy this. Isn't this yeah. Could, could you change it? Could you give it up? Some, some kind of entertainment? Some sporting thing? Well, I know they play on Sundays, but it's only for a few months. Okay. Fine. Do you want to be a follower of God? Or do you want to see how much you can get away with? I'm just asking. I didn't even tell you which way you should go. Amen? Just asking. <laughs> Could you, could you give it up? Would you give it up? Ooh. Sometimes we, we run into these parents, and they, I shouldn't even say this, but I will. You know, they've got their kids in this, this league and that league and the other league and all these different things. And, and some, I, I don't know, they must think in their mind that their, that their five-foot-tall kid is going to be in the NBA one day. I don't want to burst your bubble. He's not. Don't waste your life on stuff that's only going to last a few years and be done. No, I'm not against all that stuff. Don't make that the focus of your life because it's not going to last very long. And real life is going to kick in and you're going to wish you'd given them some things that will help them in real life. I mean, if they can dribble but they can't make change, things are going to get rough later. They're going to get really rough. And you know there's plenty of those out there. There's plenty of those everywhere you go. Could you give it up for the glory of God? Would you be willing to change it for the sake of a weaker brother? That's what we saw last night. Well, you know, I just don't think I should have to. Well, of course you don't have to. Paul didn't have to when he said, if it causes my brother to stumble, I'll eat no meat while the world standeth. He didn't have to do that. Didn't have to. You see, even things that fall under Christian liberty have to be regulated by the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And it might even be something good that has taken such a hold in your life that God has gotten pushed off to the side. Can I just be honest with you? It happens to preachers. It does. Because you get all caught up in the 
I've got to do this and this and this and be ready for that and this and this. And, and all of a sudden your personal walk with God is getting pushed off to the side. And you've got to go back and say, God, I'm sorry for that. And get that right again. Well, it happens to everybody. It happens to everybody. We were having testimonies one night. My home church in Fairbanks. And a young lady got up to give a testimony. Her name was Ellie. She was probably in ninth, tenth grade at that time. Fine young lady. Wonderful young lady. And she got up that night and she was hanging on to the pulpit. And, and she started to cry. And, and she finally got her composure. And she said, I, I need you to forgive me. And she started to cry again. And everybody was just, you know, we were really concerned that some awful thing had occurred in her life. And, you know, we're, our heart's just going out to her. And she, she got her, her composure again. She said, I have been reading Christian novels. I thought, you know, I, I haven't read a whole lot of Christian novels in my day. I didn't know they were that wicked. But hey, if it's a problem, it's a problem. And then she said, and I haven't been reading my Bible at all. And suddenly it made sense. Here's this teenage girl who's so tender toward the things of God that reading Christian novels broke her heart because it had kept her from reading the Bible. Can I just be honest with you? For most folks sitting in independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist churches, if they would start reading Christian novels, it would be a huge leap ahead. We ought to be that sensitive. So that if all of a sudden we realize our time with God is getting smaller and smaller, and our time on the internet, and our time in the books, and our time uh, uh, this and that is getting bigger and bigger, something's wrong, and it ought to break our heart. And it ought to drive us to our knees and say, God, I'm sorry. That thing started to take control of my life. And that is not pleasing to God. Even if it's a good thing, it took control and it pushed the Holy Spirit of God right out. Lord, I want you to be in control. So I'm going to put that off to the side. Does that mean you can never do that again? No, not necessarily. You just got to keep it in balance. Amen? You got to make sure the one who's supposed to be in control is in control. Because the Bible tells us we are to be filled with the Spirit. And the devil's really good at filling us with everything but the Spirit. And we got to push the junk back out and say, okay, God, I'm sorry. Take over again. And he will. Amen? I told you, Bible principles will answer every question if you want to be a follower of God. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.